Okay. So let me say Merry Christmas. We're all family here, right? I mean, this is good. It's Christmas morning, and we're here. So like I was saying a minute ago, a few years ago, I decided to give myself the Christmas gift of physical fitness. Again, don't laugh. Rome was not built today, okay? Cut me a little slack here. I'm working on it. Well, I've been working with these trainers. I do it like this group training session. And I go there, and I've started to question, do these trainers really care about me? Because, you know, they're kind of, they kind of work through this uh, sometimes negative motivation, I guess you'd call it. Hey, Cowan, you can give me five more reps of that. Looks like you're lift, lifting feathers over there. You know, that kind of stuff. And transformation is hard. It's not easy getting out there and, and, and running and elliptical training and weightlifting and all that stuff. And frankly, I'm perfectly content to just sit in a recliner, turn on the TV, get some snacks. You know? It's not something that's easy for me. Some of you it is. And my wife, you know, she kind of prompted me to do this, too. You know, it kind of makes me wonder about her a little bit. Does she really love and care about her husband? But yeah, I believe she does. She does care about me. So she encouraged me to take that step. But see, I'm resistant to change. Once you get going in a certain direction, it's very hard to make a switch. It's very hard to do a 90 and, and, and turn the corner and try something different. And life changes. I, my mom told me this once. She told me a hundred times. Chad, the one thing that is for sure is change. People come. People go. People leave us without us wanting that to happen unexpectedly. The holidays change. Locations change. And as people resistant to change, it can get confusing. We often don't understand now imagine for a moment being a young woman. You're 13 years old. Your, your wedding is all planned out. The people are invited. They're coming. You love this young man to whom you are betrothed. Fine young Jewish man from a great Jewish family. You're a, a young 13-year-old Jewish girl. Everything is ready to go, and all of a sudden things change in an instant. You have an appearance you witness the appearance of an angel that comes to you and, and says to you, you're going to have a child. The man to whom you are betrothed is not going to be the father. How would you handle that? You find out you're pregnant, not by the man you're going to marry. We're going to take a look this morning at this young woman named Mary. Who was favored? Who was loved even? But God's love is not always what we expect it to be. I want to talk about this question. Well, how does God show his love to us? How does God show his love to us? This advent of love, this coming of love that came through the person, Jesus Christ. And we're going to finish up our series on the enduring promises of Christmas. Looking at this, this final Sunday, this promise of love. Again, Advent, I've been saying this week after week, we celebrate Advent as this Latin word coming. The season is a time of preparation that directs our hearts and minds to Christ's second coming at the end of time 
and to the anniversary of our Lord's birth on Christmas. So we're between these two events, right? We celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world at the same time. That's why we have the man with the sword on the horse, because the next time Christ comes, it won't be as a baby in a manger. He'll come on a white horse as he comes at that time to bring wrath and to take us home to be with him. And this morning we're talking about love. Love. Christian love. God's love. As we dive into this, I'd like to do it this way. We'll talk about, well, what is love? There's a lot of confusion about that one. What in the world are we talking about when we talk about love? Then three ideas about God's love that come through this passage. He loves us through his promises. His love brings intervention, and his love transforms us. Those three ideas as we go through this. Let's start out with this definition. What is love? And we've got a lot of strange ideas about it out there. We tend to think of it as a feeling. You know, you, you meet the right person and you fall in love. There's actually this condition called the, the juiced brain, that when they take brain scans of someone who's in love, their brain looks different. You actually make the worst decisions of your life, believe it or not, in that juiced brain condition. You have to fight to think. But when we go through the pages of Scripture, we come up against a different idea. And the disciple John, who uh, wrote his gospel, he wrote uh, three more letters, and then finally the book of Revelation, he had a lot to say about the subject of God's love. Look at these verses, John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that, this is Jesus speaking, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And finally, a verse that many of you are probably familiar with, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, notice what these verses say, that God loves, and when God loves, what else does he do? God gives. God loves, and God gives. The two go together. It's not just some kind of feeling. It's not just lip service. There's action involved when God loves his people. He's a loving father, and he gives good gifts to his children, including his only son, so I'm going to go with this definition of God's love. God's love means that he eternally gives of himself to others. He eternally gives of himself to others. There's this Latin phrase sometimes used to describe God. He's called the fons divinatus. Now, what does that mean? He's the eternal wellspring, the eternal fount that can continually give and give and give, and he pours his love into us. We're transformed, and God intends us to be changed as a result of receiving this love. I came across this story that I think embodies this very well. Uh, it's by Max Licato. He was talking about an overdraft notice that he was sent because one of his daughters overdrew her bank account. She was in college. He said sometimes they overspend. He was asked the question, well, what do I do? You know, do I... Send her an angry letter. Do I admonish her to help her later? He said, but that's not going to satisfy the bank. 
Do I phone her and tell her to make a deposit? He said, I may as well tell a fish to fly. He said, I know how much money she has. Zero. She's got nothing. Do I transfer the money from my account to hers? It seemed to be the best option. He said, I had the $25.37. I could replenish her account, pay the overdraft fee as well. He says, since she calls me dad, I covered my daughter's mistake. He said, when I told her she was overdrawn, she said she was sorry. But he said she still didn't offer any deposit. She was broke, and she only had one option. She said, Dad, could you? He interrupted and said, Honey, I already have. I met her need before she even knew she had a need. And long before you and I knew we needed grace, our Father did the same, and He made an ample deposit. And before we knew we needed a Savior, we had one. And before we ask him for mercy, he answers, dear, dear child, I've already given it. I don't believe his daughter will forget that. See, this is unconditional love. Whenever I was studying counseling in seminary, we had a, a guy, he was a, a guru counselor. His name's Gary Minerth. He came and talked to our class. He uh, had a, a long time studying uh, counseling and psychiatry. <clears throat> He said something I'll never forget. He said, guys, gals, he said, study counseling as long as you want. But he said, there's one ingredient that, that, that determines whether or not you are a good or bad counselor. And that's the degree to which your clients feel unconditional love from you. He said, that's what changes and heals people. That's the difference between a good counselor and a bad counselor. Is this transforming unconditional love. In his book called Leadership, Leighton Ford, he said this. He said, God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And then I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. So God loves us this way. Now I want to talk about these three ideas about God's love. And first of all, he loves us through promises. He loves us through promises he makes Look at Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, what's happening in Israel at this time? It was when Israel was divided. There was the northern kingdom of Israel. There was the southern kingdom of Judah. People in the southern kingdom had just found out that the northern kingdom of Israel had joined forces with some enemies, and they were about to come against them. There was a king named Ahaz who was terrified. He's like, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. And the prophet Isaiah spoke up and said, well, ask the Lord for a sign that everything's going to be okay. And Ahaz said, I don't even want a sign. How do I know things are going to be okay? So a sign was given to him, given to God's people, that they had not been forgotten in their sinful and broken state. Instead, when they see a virgin give birth to a child, they would see the tangible love of God coming to them to rescue the world. See, God loves us and he makes these promises. And one of the promises he made in this passage is that he would never leave his people ever. They're going to continue. As a matter of fact, I'm going to so continue the kingdom of Israel that there will be a virgin that gives birth to a child. And God makes these promises to his people. Deuteronomy 31, 6, 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That was a promise to his people Israel. But he makes the same promise in the New Testament to the church, to you and I in Hebrews 13, 5. Interestingly, listen to this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you notice this? That God's promises, you see, they're also tied to commands. Don't be terrified of enemies. Why? There's the command, don't be terrified. Why? Because I'm not going to leave you. He said, don't fall in love with money. Don't be anxious about what you may or may not have. Why? I'm never going to leave you. The commands and the promises are tied together. In a book called God of Promise and the Life of Faith, there's an author that discusses this. He said, every divine call to action or obedience is at the same time a divine summons to trust in God's promises. That is faith. Every call to action God makes to you is also coupled with a promise that we have to believe. The promises of God are commands in disguise and vice versa. God commands what he commands because he promises. After the exodus, God promised Israel that it would rain bread from heaven every day except the Sabbath. So God commanded Israel not to gather more than their daily ration except on Friday. Because it wouldn't rain on Saturday, on the Sabbath. And God's promise was linked with a prohibition. And then conversely, trusting God's promise would mean obedience to his commands. He goes on and says this, Disbelief always shows up as an act of disobedience, since every promise carries with it a command. Every time we disobey God, it is because we are not trusting his promises. God loves us. He makes promises because he loves us, and he doesn't want us to be distracted with disobedience. Now, that promise he would never leave us comes particularly into view in our next idea about love. So first of all, he loves us through these promises, and secondly, his love also brings intervention. It brings intervention. God intervenes on the timeline of mankind. Look at Luke 1, 26 through 33. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That's what Emmanuel means, by the way, God with us. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. A king is coming. His reign is going to be over a kingdom with no borders, no end. Interestingly, if you look up the word intervention, it means this, action taken to improve a situation. And God knew the situation, and he knew there was only one person that could come to earth and do the job. Who knows what in the world was going through Mary's mind when she heard all this? 
She's favored. She'll give birth to God. She will give birth to God. And I remember what someone said in response to the song, Mary, did you know? She didn't. I don't think she knew all this. But this will be the moment that love would come into the world to improve our situation, which was way worse than we ever dreamed it could have been. What we needed was a savior. One more thing from Max Licato. He said this about this moment. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. He knew exactly what we needed, and he knew exactly when the right moment was to come to the world. He knows our needs. He knows what your needs are right now even better than you do. He attends according to his own will to supply your needs. It doesn't always look the way we think it would. It doesn't always mean we'll get what we wish. But he will care for our needs. He'll intervene at the exact moment and the right manner. There's something powerful. Um, Ann Voskamp, the author, she wrote about this moment that Christ came into the world. I think it's hard for us to really get our minds around the creator of all things being born a helpless child. And she said it so well. She said, so God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby, as the most vulnerable imaginable, because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender we could touch him, so fragile that we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? Only the one who loves you to death. This is a transforming kind of love. So again, he loves us through his promises. His love brings us intervention. And then finally, his love transforms us. It transforms us. I want to try and get into Mary's shoes again for a moment. Yeah, as Mary was hearing what the angel was saying, and by the way, she knew the Old Testament well. Just a few verses after that uh, angel came and visited her, she wrote a, a lengthy section called the Magnificat. And she was weaving in all the Old Testament stories into what just happened to her, and she realized that she was the virgin prophesied about in the book of Isaiah. And she's betrothed, which is a step beyond engagement, not quite married. Look what it says in verses 34 through 37 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary asks a fair question. Well, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. There's no natural way that God could bring about what has been promised. 
And within her mind, there, there can be no new birth because it doesn't seem humanly possible. And she's right. It's not humanly possible. This is a work of God. And what may look like impossible obstacles to, to, to us are nothing to God. If it's part of his plan, it's going to happen. Mary is terrified, it says. She was terrified with a great terror, the text says, with the encounter with this angel. And who knows what's really going through her mind. She would bear the Messiah. But her premarital pregnancy is going to bring a lot of misunderstanding. It's going to bring a lot of persecution. People are going to point fingers at Joseph and say, you idiot. How daft are you? Do you not see that this young woman just had an affair? An angel would show up to Joseph, explain things to him as well. How would she respond to a moment like this? Look at what it says in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, according to Martin Luther, there were three miracles that happened when Christ came. One, that God became a man. Let's don't miss that. Second, that a virgin conceived. And then third, that Mary believed. And the greatest of these was the last. I just recently spoke with a pastor who went through a very, very difficult situation at his church. And honestly, I don't know how I would have handled it, given what he had just gone through. And he said something I will never forget. He said, you know, he said, I have made the decision to forgive. He made the decision in his mind to forgive. And he said, I'm trusting the feelings to follow. He still felt anger. He still felt hurt. And I don't think that Mary has put the pieces together at this point. And I, don't th I think she's in, perhaps even in shock. I don't think she gets the gravity of what's been said to her. But, but how does she respond? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is an amazing faith. Again, a young 13-year-old girl from terrified to accepting and in just a few verses, she'll, she'll meet with Elizabeth, and they will praise God together. She understands that in nine months, love is going to arrive into the world. That she'll be giving birth to the answer of all man's problems. She surrenders to his transforming love. She trusts God to take her beyond her limitations. See, that's what you and I are called to do, to surrender to a plan we can't possibly fully understand and may not understand. And to get into Mary's shoes, you have to ask yourself the question, how might you behave if you knew God was coming into the world in nine months? Who could you forgive? What bitternesses could you and I let go of if you know this whole thing was going to finally be fixed in just nine months? How might you live? Do you know that we are called to live every day with the expectation that Christ could be coming back today? Now, in the meantime, we're called to be busy doing that which God has gifted and called us to do. But we are to live each day with the expectation that today could be the day. Wouldn't it be great to happen on Christmas? Wouldn't that be the best gift of all? We're called to live in that kind of anticipation of His next coming. In the meantime... Surrender to his plans means this. 
When you, the degree to which you surrender to God's plan means this. You will have to, this, to the same degree hope and peace and joy and the experience of his love in this life. Expressed, all that expressed in this deep experience of, of Christ's willingness to come to earth to take on full humanity. So put all that together. Surrender to God's transforming love. Surrender to God's transforming love. I want to close with this story of a woman by the name of Carrie Tippetts. She actually lived in Colorado Springs. You may have heard her name. They've actually just come out with a documentary about her life. She was a, a mother of four uh, and an author, and her husband was a pastor named Jason. She went home to Jesus on March 22, 2015, after a long battle with, with breast cancer. And as the cancer was spreading, uh, she was embracing her situation very courageously. And she believed that the cancer was not the point, but Jesus was, and her family, and she was processing what God was calling them to live out, and she invited everybody in her community to join her in this journey home. How would she trust God in the midst of sickness? And how would she trust God in the middle of dying? There was a book that came out about her story. And in that, she said that this was an opportunity she actually said that every moment was a gift to her as she was battling cancer, as she said, to learn more about grace and trusting God. She believed suffering was not an absence of beauty, but an opportunity to understand God's love on a deeper level. She went on to say this about her life. She said, my little body has grown tired of the battle and treatment is no longer helping. That what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He has still given me breath. And with it, I pray I would live well and fade well by degrees, doing both living and dying as I have moments left to live. I get to draw my people close, kiss them, and tenderly speak love over their lives. I get to pray into eternity my hopes and fears for the moments of my loves. She said, I get to laugh and cry and wonder over heaven. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey. I love that honesty. But I have Jesus and he will provide. He's given me so much to be grateful for, and that gratitude, that wondering over his love will cover us all, and it will carry us, carry us in ways that we cannot comprehend, and I believe that, that the love of God can carry us in ways that we can't even fully comprehend. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we can scarcely understand the love that you have for us. The miracle of the incarnation, that you became human and lived here with us. We could touch you and hear you, eat with you, laugh with you. And that you would die for us only then to be raised again, and someday you'll come back down. And Lord, you'll set up that kingdom that has no end. No more tears, no more sadness, no more sin. And God, how we look forward to that day. God, I pray until then we would be faithful to show and share the love of Jesus, the light of Jesus, 
to a broken and sinful world. And we ask it all in his name we pray. Amen. I think, can I, do I have time to get on, get on the drums here, Sam? You bet. We're going to close another song. And I'm going to play drums. Please stand up. We're going to get Chad on the drums for this. Probably your last Christmas song for about 11 months, folks. You better enjoy it. <laughs> Here we go. Christmas. We'll see you next year at 9 o'clock or 10.30.